What shall we do? What can I do now? I wonder if these are thoughts going round your mind just now. Or if you've children in the house, perhaps they're words you're hearing quite a lot just at the moment. One dictionary definition of being bored, and these statements are the kind we make when we're bored, aren't they, is feeling unhappy because something is not interesting or because you have nothing to do. I'm really struck by how the lack of something to do has its response in how we feel, how we are. It reminds me that as human beings we measure ourselves an awful lot by our doings. On that amazing day when Simon Peter found a new strength to become a preacher, the crowd were so moved in their hearts, in their very beings, that they immediately wanted to know what they should do. Let's look a little more closely at the passage. Some of us will remember that Simon Peter's first foray into preaching happened on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were waiting for the gift that Jesus had promised them, the Holy Spirit. The gift came in such a powerful way that none of them could have possibly guessed at beforehand. So, as well as being taken by surprise, they suddenly found themselves with a new kind of strength as we reflected last week. If you know the story, you might remember that some of the crowd thought they were drunk, speaking in languages that they'd not known before. Peter is indignant at this point, and from somewhere deep inside his being, he finds himself doing a new doing. Peter came from Galilee, a rugged area in the north of Israel, where most of the towns and villages were near to the Sea of Galilee. It contained edible fish and was surrounded by quite fertile land so good crops could be grown. Not a bad place to settle down then. It was an agricultural backwater, really. Farmers looked after it and in turn they were looked after by the Romans who were occupying the land in Peter's day. A massive gap existed between the rich and the poor but the lack of uprisings could suggest that the taxes were not exorbitantly high and that most Galileans did not feel their livelihoods were being threatened by Herod Antipas. He was the tetrarch, the Roman in charge of Galilee, for 43 years. The chances are then that Peter didn't go to university, he was not educated other than in the Torah, in his Jewish tradition. So how did this young fisherman manage to stand up and speak to such a great crowd from all over the world in Jerusalem on that day? I wonder if it felt a bit like our lockdown when the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem, not sure whether they should go out. After Jesus had ascended into heaven, were they sitting around day by day, feeling bored, wondering if they might miss something important. These were challenging times for the eleven. They did take a moment, that we read about in Acts 1, to find someone to share in the ministry instead of Judas. Matthias was chosen. But the times remained challenging. Rome was maintaining direct rule over Judea in terms of political power, and on the religious front the principal authority lay with the high priest of the day. At this time it was Caiaphas in charge. He was in post from 18 to 37 AD. Jerusalem as a place was only important because of the Jewish temple. It wasn't on a trade route, or even a useful river, or even a piece of shoreline that might be important to someone. The temple stood on a huge platform which dominated the city. It was engineered by Herod the Great, and was still being built in fact, so there were loads of workmen and tradespeople around and those who controlled the temple pretty much controlled the city, really. Income was being generated through sacrificial taxes that flowed in from the whole region, and there's no doubt that just as today, there would have been loads of pilgrims to this amazing building and all the history it held. 
Jackie shared with us last week about the first part of Peter's sermon, where he reminded everyone of Joel's prophecy and of the promise made to King David. Can you imagine Peter standing before this great crowd of people, declaring all these things to them, culminating in his recognition that Jesus, whom they had crucified, he reminds them, this Jesus is the Lord and Messiah that they've all been waiting for. And who is in this crowd? What kind of people are they? Men, women, children, property owners like Barnabas who sold a field, Ananias and Sapphira who had property or land to sell. Their story doesn't go so well. You can read about it in Acts 5. There were servants like Rhoda in Acts 12 and tradespeople like Lydia. In other words, the crowd is made up of everyday people just like you and me, all going about their business as usual until they hear and see something very unusual as Luke describes it to us earlier in Acts 2. Whatever Peter said, and however it was heard, after everything else that had happened on that day, his words had an amazing consequence. Verse 38. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The response is quick and quite simple. Repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. What an incredible new opportunity Peter and the other eleven have here. We will reflect more on the day of Pentecost itself at the end of May when we celebrate it. But today I would like us to think about the new opportunities that the gift of the Holy Spirit brought to the believers then and of course brings to us right now in our own challenging times. Peter wants everyone to know for certain that Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah, the one sent to bring about the salvation which the Jews were waiting for. Of course, they were waiting for someone to save them from the might of the Roman Empire, someone who would lead them to be the greatest nation on earth. They had missed all the clues that God had been giving them in the past, that actually the Messiah would save any people of any heritage if they were just able to do three things. Believe the eyewitness testimony that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Recognise that they were a sinner who needs a Christ, a Messiah, to forgive them and save them. And to give their whole life to serve the true Lord. If Peter's words are correct, then you can see why many were cut to the heart. No Jew would want to be credited with having had a part in the death of the Jewish Messiah, the one who was to deliver Israel. So they need to know what they should do in the light of such a calamity. And verses 38 and 39 give the fullest summary of what is required and what the benefits are if one wishes to become a follower of Jesus. As the people listen to Peter, there is the realisation in parts of the crowd that two things are true. First, what he said about them, they are sinners who killed the Christ. And second, what he said about Jesus, that he is the Lord and Christ. Their hearts were changed and their lives took on new opportunities. And the same is happening today. God still changes and is changing hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And the same response is required. Repent and be baptised. Repent is a funny word. In the church we often use it, but I wonder if we realise the depth of its meaning. The Collins Shorter Dictionary suggests three things. The wish that one had not done something. To feel regret for a deed or an omission. And to just feel regret. Repentance is a change of mind, of turning away, of returning to God, turning away from sin. Oh, now we have the word sin to wrestle with. What does that mean? 
Well, perhaps the simplest explanation is that sin is anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God, an action we might take, or one that we decide not to take, a thought we might have. I guess you will know what yours are. The trouble with repentance is that it's not easy. It's easy to decide not to do something once, or even to say sorry after you've done something wrong, but repentance is more than that. It is saying sorry, really meaning it, and turning away from such things in the future. In this lockdown time, I wonder how many more times sorry is being used in homes around the world. But is it really being meant? Repentance is scary. Jesus told a crowd in Luke 13 that they should repent or they would die. Repentance is difficult. How many times have you said or heard someone else say, but I'm not sorry, I'm always right, a phrase common both in youth and old age. But repentance is precious to God and is necessary for salvation and baptism is the sign that repentance is important to us. Peter stresses in verse 38 that everyone needs to do this. Without this change, Peter, and I guess Luke as he's writing all this down, believe that without this change, the people will face God's judgment for their sins, the wrong things they've done. In this moment, Peter is giving them, in fact pleading with them to take up this new opportunity, this opportunity to change. And get this, 3,000 people did that day. I wonder what new opportunities our lockdown is giving us. Some of us are learning new things. Some of us are creating wonderful gardens, doing a bit of DIY or redecorating. Some are taking time to write letters or create poetry. Some are painting, some are reading. Some are trying to work out the best way of keeping our community life together. Some are talking with family and more friends much more often than before. I wonder if some are saying sorry more, perhaps realising that that disagreement X number of years ago really needs forgiving and moving on from. I wonder if some people are picking up the Bible, maybe looking up things on the internet, following some online worship, looking to see what their local church is doing, maybe just a bit intrigued, maybe deciding that it might be time to re-engage with the faith thing they let go of all those years ago. (coughs) Perhaps some are hearing God for the first time and are desperate to know more. Maybe some are struggling following bereavement and wonder if the church can help them make some sense of it all. There is no doubt that this challenging time for us, just as it did for the disciples back then, is leading to new opportunities. There will be some who, like the disciples in our Gospel reading, will be walking back to Emmaus, who will be longing for everything to go back to how it was. But perhaps, like me, you are running back to Jerusalem, have encountered the risen Christ and are desperate to share that news and the change it's brought for you. Cleopas and his friend took their new opportunity and ran with it, literally. Are we running with ours? All those extra conversations we're having with friends and family, can we share a bit more of our everyday faith, our everyday faith ways of dealing with this strange time? Can we pass on information to people about where to go and find out more about Jesus? Point them to our website, perhaps. And for families with children, are we encouraging them to look at our messy church pages with new activities every week? Are we looking out for each other and encouraging each other as well as our neighbours and friends? Are we listening as well as sharing, giving our time? I believe it's one of the most valuable things we can give, especially just now. If you want some help around how to share, how to help, where to point people to stuff, then please do be in touch with me or others that you trust 
and we'll willingly help you offer new opportunities as well as perhaps take some yourself. Today, Sunday the 26th of April, is the fourth anniversary of my licensing as the incumbent of the Good Shepherd Church. Together we've shared many new opportunities in that time. We've laughed and cried together. We've learnt and shared together. We've welcomed people in and we've let people go. We've seen a new church planted and so many new houses built. I'm grateful to God for all the new opportunities he has given to us. But now I'm asking for more. I'm asking for more because I see these challenging times leading to them. I'm asking for more because I believe God wants us to grow and develop things, new things in new ways. That's not to say that anything of the past will stop or is wrong. It's just to recognise that these challenging times are leading to new opportunities. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss them. I don't want to carry on walking towards Emmaus. I want to be racing back to Jerusalem, having encountered the risen Lord Jesus, to all the new things he will show me. I hope that you are racing with me too.